It's so fun to be here. I just was just having a moment there with uh, Justin's worship leadership and uh, so many familiar faces here that um, I don't get to see much. And it's so good to see. But more uh, exciting to me are the unfamiliar faces. And, and hopefully nothing would make me happier if you are here and you have no idea who I am. Uh, because that means this church is doing what this church is called to do. Um, I am the, well, I am the former pastor. I'm currently an unemployed pastor filing unemployment this afternoon. Um, I, uh, I'm the former pastor of Taste Creek Presbyterian Church, which planted this church. So in the first year uh, of this church's existence, I preached uh, 50% of the time here, and then 25% the next year, and then Marshall never lets me preach anymore. So... Uh, but what is exciting to me is to see that there are people here who maybe have no idea who I am and no idea who, what Taste Creek Presbyterian Church is. That, that's a healthy church. That's a healthy church plant. And uh, I hope our, our vision at TCPC was always we want to plant churches that plant churches. So I am hoping and praying that one day you all will be planting a church in this city. And eventually that church will have no idea who Hope is, who TCPC is, and uh, so goes forth uh, the kingdom of God. Marsh asked me to uh, preach. I, um, I, 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 the last sermon series I did at TCPC before I moved. By the way, if you were wondering, I, I, am, I am stepping out into a broad, I am not unemployed. I am stepping out into a, a broader uh, leadership role, pastoral leadership role within our state. Um, and uh, if, you, if you do know me and, and, and are interested in what the Lord's doing with me uh, in the coming weeks, I'm going to be explaining that um, to, to everyone. So you'll get the details of that. But one of the things I am really excited about, it, it, I was joking about Marshall not letting me be around here. Um, it does, it, that, that, most of that's on me. I, I uh, haven't had the space for this, but my new role gives me uh, the space to get to be um, around here a little bit more, around our other church plant in Richmond a little bit more, and uh, I'm really excited about that part of it. But the last sermon series I, I preached before uh, stepping down at TCPC was the Sermon on the Mount, and Marshall asked me to uh, preach. I did in that sermon series, I, I preached a sermon on each of the Beatitudes. Um, and Marsh asked, he said, I, I think it'd be great if you would choose one of those Beatitudes that you preached on. And uh, whichever one seemed to resonate most with folks and preached it for uh, hope. So uh, I have chosen Matthew uh, 5 5. Let me read that for us and then we'll pray. Or do you all do word of the Lord here? Okay, we'll do that and then we'll pray. All right. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The word of the Lord. Yes, Lord, we are thankful for your word, which is true. And given to us in love, we are thankful for the way you instruct us, always with us, always guiding us, but we remember the unique promise that when we gather in corporate worship and open the scriptures together and your word is proclaimed, that you visit your people in unique ways, not because of the skills of the preacher, but because of the Holy Spirit who's among us, working Lord, um, I know some friends here certainly don't know everyone here, but you know every single person 
you know everything going on in their lives. You know their sins, you know their struggles, you know their doubts, you know their fears, you know their anxieties, you know their frustrations. You know why you have brought them to church this morning. And I pray they would be different because they came to church this morning. Would you, Holy Spirit, come and visit us? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, a couple years ago, uh, Christianity Today released a podcast series, uh, and, and the intent was to expose uh, the problematic toxicity that has uh, really in many ways infected American evangelical Christianity. And to do so, that what they did is they focused on one test case in, familiar, in, uh, in particular, uh, you may be familiar, you may have listened to the series, the podcast series, entitled uh, The Rise and Falls of Mars Hill. Uh, for those who didn't listen to the podcast or are unfamiliar with Mars Hill, um, what it, it, Mars Hill was a megachurch in one of the most unchurched cities of our nation, Seattle, Washington, and the pastor of Mars Hill was a man uh, named Mark Driscoll. Many of you uh, may know of Driscoll. Perhaps many of you have benefited from his preaching and teachings in the past. Uh, he has an incredibly gifted mind and tongue. Uh, there is no denying that. And because of those extraordinary gifts, what started as a small uh, church plant in Seattle grew to a church with 15 locations in four states. Uh, so this wasn't a multi-campus church. It was a multi-state church. And so every week thousands gathered to hear him preach and hundreds of thousands more would then download those sermons throughout the week. And so when you look at the Mars Hill Church thing, according to worldly metrics, Mars, Hill's, Mars Hill was a massive success. But when you look at it according to the Beatitudes, Mars Hill proved to be a massive failure. The numbers were astounding but the culture was toxic. But here's what was so convicting. Driscoll built the movement and his brand on that very toxicity. His, his shtick was that American Christianity was weak and wimpy. And I'm going to offer you a Christianity that is brash and braggadocious. In his sermons, he would, he would yell, he would cuss, he would mock other forms of Christianity. And here is what is so sad. Christians ate it up. They loved him for it. They were craving an arrogant Christianity remade in the image of our arrogant culture. The story of Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill Church serves as an indictment on what has become uh, of us just as much an indictment of Driscoll himself. Well, Jesus is here uh, with a rebuke to us who value arrogance and are addicted to power. Jesus is here to commend to us what is scorned by the world. He is here to declare, actually, blessed are the meek. Here's how I'm going to divide it. Beatitudes are basically, they're straightforward. You can cut them in half. The first half is a kingdom posture. These are the postures of the kingdom of God. And then the second half is a kingdom promise. Here is the promise of God's kingdom. So let's start with the posture. Blessed are the meek. So what's taking place in the flow of the Beatitudes, since we're just jumping in here, is that um, the Beatitudes are now turning outward. 
The first two Beatitudes were introspective Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn their poverty of spirit. But the Beatitudes are actually uh, very practical, application-driven teaching. However, Jesus begins with the introspection for a reason, because it's the foundation of his applications. When I truly internalize my poverty of spirit, when I truly mourn over that poverty, that is going to produce a different type of person, is the point. And the most noticeable change is what Jesus is describing in our beatitude this morning. If you believe that you truly are poor in spirit, and if you mourn over that poverty in spirit, then you will become a person unmistakably marked by meekness. Now, before we uh, explore it in detail, let me dispel a common myth about meekness, okay? When we think meek, we often think pushover. Someone without a backbone, um, unwilling to assert themselves, in short, the antithesis of strength. This could not be further from the truth. In fact, as we're going to see in a moment, meekness is actually a profound uh, manifestation of strength. And the reason we know that the biblical definition of meekness cannot equate to a pushover is because, of course, the embodiment of meekness is Jesus himself. I think it's safe to assume that omnipotent authority and power qualifies as strength. And the way he interacts with people is actually very assertive. If you're familiar with the Gospels, you'll, you'll, un, you'll see this in Jesus, what often gets missed about Jesus. When we think of Jesus demonstrating strength, typically the only place that comes to mind is in flipping tables in the temple. But we fail to appreciate how confrontationally assertive he was in nearly all of his interactions. Consider the tender moment he shared with a woman caught in adultery. He, he rescues her with his famous, let anyone who's without sin cast the first stone. They all leave. Jesus turns to her and says, woman, where are, the, where are they? Has no one left to condemn you? No one, my Lord. He says, neither do I condemn you. What a precious beautiful moment of forgiveness and grace, but we often forget that he ends that conversation with, now go and sin no more. Jesus was assertive. He was confrontational. Never abrasive, but very assertive. And yet, when this strong and assertive Lord describes himself, he does so with the words gentle and lowly in heart. That's the only time Jesus describes his heart, which in Scripture is the word used for the essence of who we are, um, our truest self. So an incredibly powerful, assertive man who is gentle and lowly in heart. And in our minds, those two cannot coexist. You must choose between strength and gentleness. But when we see how they can coexist we discover the essence of meekness. What we find in Jesus is a selfless strength. And this is the essence of what it means to be meek. Not a lack of strength, but a strength in service to others. What is natural to us and common in our world is strength used for self-gain, self-promotion, self-interest, self-aggrandizement. And in this way, our strength benefits us at the expense of others. Meekness flips that. The kingdom posture of meekness says strength in service to others 
at the expense of self. And when meekness is defined this way, we come to realize just how strong and noble and valiant are the meek. Anybody can be arrogant. It comes natural to all of us. It's what we do. Indeed, it's how our world functions. But meekness, strength in the service of neighbor, that is a peculiar strength that is rarely rarely found in our world, but remains the expectation of Jesus nonetheless. And that expectation is actually his gift to you. It's important to stress here that Jesus calls meekness a blessing. Yes, it does bless others, but it blesses also the meek. Selfless strength is much more difficult to practice than selfish strength, but in the end it's worth it. Because selfless strength is a blessing, and selfish strength is a curse. And that counterintuitive promise has never been proven untrue. If there, if there is, is there any more cursed existence than the arrogant? Have you ever seen a life of selfish vanity and pride turn out well? And yet, like the psalmist says, we envy the arrogant. The beautiful, the powerful, the popular, the wealthy. These are the heroes of our worldly kingdoms. And as such, they are not just our envy, they become our ambition in life. And this ambition is a cursed life. Because we are faced with the harsh reality that the vast majority of us don't have what it takes to excel in a world of competing strength. Look, I know our therapeutic culture likes to tell you that you have what it takes. That you can be anything you want to be, do anything you put your mind to but you're being lied to. You live in a selfish world of competing strength. And I'm sorry, I love you, but I'll be honest with you, most of us don't have what it takes to make it in this cutthroat world where the strong devour the weak. And so a world where self-promotion is valued above all else creates a cruel framework of haves and have-nots. And both of them are miserable. Those who make it realize how miserable it truly is. The vanity of making it. And those who don't make it are miserable over their failure to do so. Well, invading our arrogant world this morning comes the invitation of God's kingdom. How about a world offered to you that declares, blessed are the meek? How about bowing out of the competition altogether in favor of a life devoted to selfless strength. You might suppose that because you haven't fared well in our selfish world, that you are weak and pitiful. That too is a lie. You are noble. You are valiant. You are glorious image bearers of God. Only that glory was made for meekness. Your strength was made for selflessness, not selfishness. And so to choose the path of meekness is not renouncing your glory or your strength. It's redeeming your strength. And in that redemption, Jesus promised you will be blessed. And I think he's right. I've yet to meet a happy, selfish person. But I've met a lot of unhappy, selfless people. Did I say that right? 
flip that. <laughs> Selfish people are unhappy. Selfless people are happy. Listen, brothers and sisters, the humble are happy. That's what I'm trying to say. And even more so, the humble will soon reign. We've seen the kingdom posture. Let's look now at the kingdom promise. Blessed are the meek, for they're going to inherit the earth. This is the oddest beatitude promise because it feels so worldly. Most of the talk in the Sermon on the Mount is about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and so forth. But this promise is the earth. But what you must understand about the kingdom of heaven is that its destiny is the earth. When it's all said and done, we're not going to heaven. Heaven's coming to us. The kingdom of heaven will come, overwhelm all kingdoms of the world. The dead in Christ shall be resurrected. The glory of God will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. And finally, the prayer that we have prayed countless times on earth as it is in heaven will be answered. So Jesus is still talking about the kingdom of God. Only he's reframing it with the final outcome of his kingdom when heaven and earth will again be one. But there is a reason that he does this. There is a reason he uses the earth with, his, with this beatitude in particular. And here's why. He's contrasting it with the current state of the earth. He's intentionally setting up a paradox of sorts where the meek, not the arrogant, are in charge of the earth. Regardless of your opinion on Darwin's theory and scholarship, its legitimacy, limitations, all that, Darwin was tapping into the operating framework of our fallen earth. The strong devour the weak. That is how it works. We absolutely find ourselves within a struggle of dominance that only the fittest survive. Now, again, whether that reality has explanatory resources to explain how everything came to be is another discussion. I'm just trying to point out the way things are in this cruel, natural order of the earth. Well, Jesus is promising a day unlike anything we could ever imagine. The humble, not the arrogant, are going to reign. Now, that day is not now. And it's important for me to say that, okay? Let me be very clear for your own expectations. Meekness is not a winning strategy in our world, okay? If you want to get ahead, if you want to be famous, if you want to be rich, if you want to be powerful, then I would not commend meekness to you. Now, I will say this. To those of you who by God's grace have been placed in positions of power, I say to you, we desperately need your meekness for oh, how blessed we are when the meek hold power. But chances are, the life of the meek will not be appreciated except by those who benefit from your meekness. But even then, they may not appreciate it. Worse yet, they may take advantage of it. Chances are, a life devoted to selfless strength will be underappreciated and unsuccessful in the eyes of the world. Meekness will lead to a seemingly unremarkable life spent making the world look a little bit more like heaven until you die and are buried in what will soon be a forgotten grave. But do not pity the meek. For out of those same graves are going to rise the kings and queens of the earth. 
And the lowly, gentle king of kings will crown the meek. And he's going to hand them the scepter of his reign that only the meek can be trusted to wield. Now they're going to resist it. Such are the way of the meek. Beneath the weight of their unworthiness, they will say, Who am I to wear this crown and hold this scepter? I'm not qualified. And Jesus will say, That is what qualifies you. And let me tell you, a world run by the meek is going to be an amazing world. I cannot wait for the meek to be in charge. I am so tired of the arrogant and exploitive, selfish leaders of this world being in charge, aren't you? It's exhausting. It's cruel. What a miserable world arrogant power has created. The ones I want in charge are those who use their strength for the good of neighbor. And that is the promised destiny of the earth. Jesus shall reign, but he will reign via the meekness of his saints. And a world where the meek are in charge is going to be heaven on earth. And so what Jesus has done with this beatitude is turn our world order upside down by exalting the meek to the highest position of power. Brothers and sisters, a meek existence is not a pitiful existence, quite the contrary. The meek are destined to rule the earth. But there's a problem you may be feeling. This is great and all, nice lesson on meekness for us this morning. How does one become meek? It's not something we can just conjure up. I have decided that I am officially meek. No, it doesn't work that way. Meekness is one of those rare virtues that must be forged within us, right? Now, typically he does that through suffering. If you're going through suffering right now, I know it's hard and I hate it for you. On the other side of that bitter mercy is a forged humility that you couldn't conjure up. So typically he does that through suffering. But there is another way. There is another way. The same Jesus who promises to bless the meek also himself creates the meek. And he does so by, tri- by the triumph of his meekness. I was once driving with my kids in the car and I had the rise and fall of Marcel podcast on. Bad parent decision too, by the way. Don't do that. And it was playing one of those clips uh, of Mark Driscoll's infamous How Dare You rant. You know, some of you may have heard it before, but if you haven't, there's one sermon in particular that Driscoll preached that went viral uh, where Driscoll just goes off on his congregation. I mean, just, you know, he just he starts screaming at them, How dare you? Who do you think you are? Da 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 stuff. Just laying into them. And uh, oh, and my, he was, I think he was eight at the time. He, Again, don't listen to this podcast for your kids, parents. But he was listening to this. And he goes, Dad, who is that? And I said, well, he's actually a preacher. Owen said, he's a preacher? And I said, yeah. Um, and what's crazy is people actually like to listen to these sermons. And Owen, proving the fact that the kingdom of God belongs to children, says, but what about Jesus? Isn't he supposed to be talking about Jesus? And I said, yep. And uh, that's what preachers should do. And so in contrast to that, I would like to do that with you now. Into a world where the strong dominate the weak for their own gain. Let me tell you a different story. 
The story where the strongest lays down his strength for the weak. Do you remember when Peter, you remember what Peter did when Jesus was being arrested? Pulled out his sword and attacked. That's the way our world works. Jesus says to him, Peter, put away your sword. Do you not think I could appeal to my father and he would at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? In essence, he was saying, Peter, you know how powerful I am, right? And if I wanted to use power for my own dominance, then that's what I would have done. But that's not what I came to do. I came to fill the scriptures. I came to do what the Bible said I would do. And the scriptures promise a meek Savior who would lay down his strength for the good of his people. Jesus is the inverse of the Darwinian struggle. We are so used to the survival of the fittest, but in Jesus the fittest sacrifices himself for the unfit. And so the omnipotent one allows himself to be arrested, falsely accused, tortured, and hung from a cross. And on the cross they mocked him. He saved others. Can't even save yourself. Oh, the irony of that accusation. Of course he could save himself, but in so doing he could not save others. So bless his name, he chooses meekness instead. And in so doing, we are now saved by our Savior's meekness. But that salvation is not just something done for us, it does something to us. Those who behold the meekness of Jesus on their behalf become a meek people. How can they not? There is no room for bravado at the foot of the cross. Instead, the cross humbles us. It shows us that indeed we are poor in spirit, first beatitude. It forces us to mourn what we have done to Jesus, second beatitude. And this poverty of spirit and mournfulness forges within us a third beatitude, meekness. Won't be meek? It's waiting for you in Jesus. Turn to him or return to him again and again and again. Come to the gentle, lowly, meek Savior and allow His meekness to forge your meekness. Let me pray. Jesus, gentle, lowly, sovereign of the universe, we thank You for Your meekness. And we pray that it would make us meek. Jesus, You chose the path of meekness. And we will spend eternity thanking you. Help us to honor our meek Savior by living as your meek people. In Jesus' name, amen.